we're really lucky to have the musicians and singers that we do here. So um, thank you guys for that gift, for sure. Hey, each week of uh, Advent, we are highlighting different ministries here in town that we um, support and uh, or are starting to support. And uh, each one of them have a little stand back there in the foyer. So if you want to find out more information about those, you can. There's also little giving boxes and envelopes, um, actually envelopes you can give to to put into the offering box if you'd like to donate towards those. So um, today we're going to hear about uh, a familiar ministry um, called Young Life, but we're going to hear um, a little bit different angle on some of the giving we're going to be um, doing this year towards them. So um, to start us off, uh, Phil Zwerink, who is the um, area director, um, is uh, going to share with us, but he's quarantined, so he made a video. So we're going to watch a video from Phil uh, to get us started.
So it's actually Rob and Olivia, because she does just as much, if not more, than I do. When he figured out it was six minutes, he's like, what am I going to talk about for six minutes? You need to come up here and help me. So yeah, I'm Olivia. This is my husband, Rob. And we've been helping with Young Life College for about a year and a half. We've had a blast with it. Um, about a month ago, us Young Life leaders were just hanging out. And we were talking about how, just kind of sharing how some of our kids or, or students are going through a lot. Um, they've gone through the death of a family member or close friends. They're battling long-term mental illnesses um, or addictions, anything along that. And we were talking, man, we just don't feel equipped um, while we're walking through it with them, we don't feel equipped or have the tools to really help them process through that. And it would be so great if they could go get counseling. Um, but that brought us to, well, there's a lot of barriers to college students going to counseling. One is just a stigma. I remember being in college and being like, I'm not going to counseling, that's for messed up people. And <laughs> so that's one, but the biggest one is finances. There's a lot of things you're paying for in college, and that's probably just not a priority that you're gonna choose for counseling. So a wise Young Life leader was like, we need a scholarship fund so that we can just say, hey, we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna be able to bless you with this, so. So as part of this giving opportunity to Young Life, it's uh, this scholarship fund uh, for Christian counseling for college-age students. And it's gonna look like, what we've kind of thought this is gonna look like is, uh, being able to, you know, pay for three to four sessions for anyone who um, is wanting that. Um, and the thought there is not that three to four sessions is going to, you know, just really get them through everything, that that's the end all be all, but this idea of, you know, kind of getting them through the door, seeing the benefits of, you know, really processing through with a trained Christian counselor who's going to look through the lens of scripture and, um, combat lies that we've just learned over time um, through our experience. <clears throat> um, and then with three to four sessions, then we can really uh, extend this to really anyone um, that age that, that is, you know, thinking that could benefit them. We're really excited about this because it's really in line with Wellspring's um, mission to create a new normal for the next generation. I know a lot of us have gone to counseling in later stages of life, but man, how beneficial it would have been to go through that earlier and when you're making really big decisions in your life. Um, so like, I don't want to miss anything. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and we also think, you know, is this a great time to do this as well for them when they've got this support? So, you know, we don't want to just you know, say, hey, yeah, I can't do this, Christian counseling. But this idea of, you know, a Christian counselor is a great tool. While we also want to continue those relationships and continue to, you know, uh, dive into that as leaders and as a community around um, people. Um, but, you know, the idea that in Wellspring we have the Mind of Christ class, um, people that care about them, um, and it's just a good support system to help process through all of that. So, yeah, it's a really exciting opportunity, um, and we'd love for you to think about it and pray about it.
Yeah, so as we um, give to Young Life this year, we're going to set aside a portion of that gift. Um, we'll go strictly just for, for counseling for students that are interested, and then the rest we will give to just the overall ministry of Young Life in town. So um, I'm super excited about that. As a person who does a lot of premarital counseling with young people, um, you know, man, I, I look into the eyes of some folks um, who just probably like me when I was 20-something a lot of times who um, just have some brokenness in their lives that they don't really, one, they might not be aware of it, um, or two, they haven't explored it or, or dealt with it or gotten healing from it at all, and then you take that into a marriage or into friendships or whatever, um, and, and you, you know there's going to be some, some heartache um, and some hard work uh, ahead for them. So I always tell young people when they're going through premarital counseling, I'm like, hey, any, any healing you can get on the front end <laughs> going into a marriage is going to be beneficial for you. So um, yeah, we want healthy people um, any way we can get them. So thank you for that. Um, so as we head into week three here of Advent of 2020, um, all of us have a story about what initially drew us to Christ. Right? There was an aspect of Christ's character that kind of compelled you to move towards him. Right? And so, um, and to this place where it was so compelling that you were ready to surrender your life to his leadership. So I'd love to just start this morning with just asking you, whoever would like to participate and share, what was it about Christ and his character that initially drew you in? What was it about Christ? Mm, okay. Yeah. Great. So he talked about the stability of Christ, of, of Christ knowing him and having a plan for him and, and you wanting to step into that plan, right? Instead of just your own ideas. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Brittany. Okay, good. So he provided uh, something different <laughs> that seemed safer or more secure than what the world was offering, maybe, at that time. Okay. What else? Yeah, Devin. Yeah. Great. So the community of Christ, and really that's a part of his nature as well, because he lives in community with the Father and Son. And so the fact that you have this Savior who um, identifies and, and says that this relationship with him is a communal effort, right? We're part of a body of believers. And so sometimes that body of believers is really compelling, and that's what draws us in. Anything else? I'm sure there's, everybody's got an answer. What's that? I would say truth. Truth, okay. And life form and religion that I have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
So is teaching, in his teachings that you were reading, discovering, you found truth that, that kind of give you some foundation or some solidness about your life, right? Good. So during this Advent season, we've been taking a look at the prophecy of spoken uh, by, by the prophet Isaiah about 700 years before the birth of Christ. And so I want to take us back to kind of our guiding passage for this series, which is Isaiah 9, 6, where he wrote this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So when we started a couple of weeks ago, I said that the people of Israel knew that God had promised them a Savior, this Messiah who would save them from their sin, a rescuer. So they had this vague sense of what it is that this Messiah, this Savior, would do. But I think there was still a lot of, of questions about who exactly would he be? Like when he comes, when he arrives on the scene, we want to make sure that we don't miss him. So what should we look for? From Isaiah's writing, we can see that the Savior is a very complex person, right? In just the one verse we looked at there, he's, he's referred to as a child, a son, and then four different titles which we're studying during this Advent season. And, and none of us um, are made up of just, you know, one title, right? We all have, those of us that are adults, you know, most of us have jobs and careers, and we could identify ourselves by that. I could tell somebody I'm a pastor, but that wouldn't really explain all of who Bob is, right? Um, model good looks would probably be the next thing I would say. Um, you know, I'm, I'm also a husband, a father. Um, I'm a friend. I'm a cousin, right? I've got all these things. So if we're that complex, imagine the Savior of the world, and trying to sum up all of who he is, right? And we saw the very first week we looked at a wonderful counselor, and we saw that that, that one, word wonderful in, in Hebrew meant miraculous, right? He's otherworldly, beyond words. And last week, Jesus, um, Jesus, <laughs> Justin. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, pretty much one and the same, right? Um, Justin described the second part there we looked at, mighty God, right? And we said that, that he was a warrior, that Jesus was a warrior for us. So today we've come to this title um, that's really dear to me, it's Everlasting Father. And at first glance, this seems like a paradox, right? Because you look at it and you say, well, how can the Son of God be called Everlasting Father, like, how does that work exactly? But the original language, as I studied it this week, and it was fascinating um, to study this, um, the, the writer's intent at that time would be more um, like an understanding of a father of a nation, uh, like a founding father, or like if you say that somebody is the father of modern medicine um, or some other, whatever field you want to put in there. So it would be safe to say that Jesus is the father of grace, Okay. And so Jesus isn't taking the place of God or Heavenly Father. Isaiah is saying that this child is going to become king, and he's going to father a nation, a people. And he will shepherd his people and protect and provide for them like a father, or more accurately, like a father should do. And that's where this title takes on such significant meaning. 
You don't have to be in community with people long, whether you're in just a, a friendship circle or maybe a small group uh, at church. Um, we're, until you find out that there are people in your group, guaranteeing, that have father wounds. Right? There's a vast number of people in our world that, that suffer from fathers who were um, either absent or just passive. They were there, but they weren't really there. Or, or were kind of overly critical. Those tend to be kind of three big ones. Just real quickly, show of hands, like how many of you grew up in a home with a dad who was either absent, passive, or overly critical? Yeah. Me too. <laughs> and honestly, for, for some people, um, the use of kind of father language uh, around uh, Christianity is, is, is painful and a little bit hard sometimes to, to grasp. And it reminds them of unfulfilled longings for the kind of father that they wish they'd had. But the awesome thing about God is that I, I, he knew that that was going to be the case. He knew that there were going to be so many people who really struggled with dads who just really weren't there. Several commentators that I read said Isaiah isn't thinking of the Trinity here when he's writing this. Father, Son, and Spirit. This is not a role for Jesus that Isaiah is describing, but it's Jesus' character that he has in mind. Our Savior is going to be fatherly. He's going to be father-like in his treatment of us. While many earthly fathers, as we've said, were maybe aloof or cold or distant or critical, passive, absent, Jesus came vulnerable and accessible, and he listened, and he cared, and he was curious, and he served, and he forgave, and he loved, and he sacrificed, and yes, even confronted and disciplined like a good father does. So how precious that Jesus was given so many names, because each one of us, you know, meets him and experiences him in such a different way. And so when you have this complexity of names of Jesus, it's going to hit somebody somewhere. To me, it's the fatherly aspect of Jesus that drew me in. It was this idea of a Savior that was never going to leave me. A Savior who, when he was preparing to leave his earthly followers to go to Jerusalem to die, he made this promise to him. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Oh, to have a father who would always promise us his presence, never abandon, always first in his thoughts. And some of you may have connected with Jesus as wonderful counselor. Maybe that week you were like, oh gosh, man, to have a savior who understands my pain and the struggles that I've been through in life and not only understands me, but also has the power, the wonderful side of him, the miraculous, to, to transform my broken life. He's not just uh, sympathetic. He, she's transformative as well. And that was like, well, you know, water to your thirsty soul. Others maybe were captured last week by, by Jesus, Justin, <laughs> his, his message on mighty God, right? To think that I have this warrior in my life who's fighting for me. Especially maybe when you feel like there, there's nobody else that's really doing that with you or for you, fighting for your heart. And I thought about that and I was like, man, you know that song, what a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. 
so rich, so compelling, so sufficient for every need that the human heart could have. I want you guys to open your Bibles this morning to Colossians chapter 1. It's page 1 uh, of 1075 in your pew Bibles. Colossians chapter 1. Paul is writing about kind of the Son of God and who he is. And starting in verse 15 of chapter 1, he says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And then skip down to verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So if you want to know the Father's heart for you, Paul is saying, look to Jesus. Everything, the fullness of God is is dwelling in this man. Jesus is everlasting Father. He is eternally Father to his people. And because he is, it means that he knows us thoroughly. Right, David, in writing Psalm 139, he begins at the very start, he says, you have searched me and you know me. You know me. And in verse 13 of 139, he tells us why. How does he know us? It says, because you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Guys, every hair on your head is numbered. Every tear that you've ever cried in your life has been bottled up and kept by your Savior. Every hurt, every scar, every victory, every thought, every word is known. I have a father who knows my name. Before time began, he knew me. He knew you. I'm not just anybody's child. I'm his child. He knows us thoroughly, which means he knows the good, the bad, and the ugly, yet he forgives us completely. And that is a critical truth. Because God also knows that every one of his creation has an expiration date. Every one of us is going to come to our end on this earth. And we need a savior. And our father knew that about us. And so he sent a son. I want you to turn over to Psalm 103. It's page 549. I've mentioned before that Psalm 103 is is my favorite psalm in Scripture because it's just packed so full of descriptive uh, words and visions about who God is to us. And so on this issue of forgiveness, let's look in in verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 2. It says, praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Skip on down to verse 10. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. The forgiveness, the healing, the crowning, the great love made possible through this child, our king, our redeemer, 
Isaiah describes it so painfully beautiful, in such a painfully beautiful way in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5. He says this. He says, surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace, brought us peace, was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Our everlasting Father knows us thoroughly, forgives us completely, and loves us endlessly. Psalm 103 8 says this The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And the older I've gotten, guys, I've, I've really come to understand this. That it's the kindness of the Father expressed in the life and the ministry of Jesus that leads us to repentance. Transformation happens when people encounter the Savior. And just quickly off the top of my head, you know, you, you can just think through encounters that people had with Christ. Jesus is walking through a town one day and he sees this tax collector named Zacchaeus and he says to Zacchaeus, the most hated man in town, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today for dinner. By the end of that story, it says his life has changed. The woman caught in adultery, right? Jesus turns to her and says, where are your condemners? Does nobody condemn you? Then neither do I. Now go and sin no more. Jesus, at the end of the Gospels, after his resurrection, encounters Peter, who denied him. Peter, who was kind of a cocky guy, who thought he'd never let Jesus down, but failed tremendously in a big moment. Jesus invites him back into fellowship, lets him know, hey, you're loved. I believe in you, and restores him in relationship. For the God we have chosen to ignore, every single one of us, comes looking for us. He pursues like a good father. And those of you that haven't been pursued by an earthly father, you understand the beauty of that. You know what it's like to feel pursued. We all want to feel pursued, whether we're in a relationship, a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, friendships, but certainly our parents. Right? To have a father that pursues you is special. The human heart longs for the endless love of an everlasting father. And those longings are only satisfied in Jesus. He is the everlasting father. He is father forever. And because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we are never without a father. Psalm 108 says, from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And guys, this is all a mystery. The gospel in general, Christianity, Jesus himself, who he is, the abundance of who he is, right? That's why there's like so many names in scripture for him. Because we're trying in our earthly brains and minds and language to, to put words to who he is. And it's a mystery, and we can't quite do it, so we keep trying to figure out different ways to say it, to encompass it all. And it's a mystery that can't be 
figured out just in a glance. The vast and complex nature of Jesus reveals deep truths that we should spend a lifetime pondering and exploring and experiencing, which is why we need to celebrate Advent and Christmas every year. If we look close enough, God has a gift about his son for us to unwrap and marvel every year. So what will you unwrap about Jesus this Christmas? And how will it capture your heart again like he did the first time that you fell in love with him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that in your wisdom,